Welcome back to Small Talk Japan, the show where we talk about all things Japan. I'm your host, not Mitch, but Josh, and I'm here with... Alex, hello, hi, how you doing? Pretty good, how you doing, Alex? I'm good, man, yeah. Where's Mitch? Um, I'm not sure where he is right now. I think he's still in America, probably. He's in America, in yeah. Vegas. In Vegas. Having a good time. Yeah, just partying it up over there. Yeah, I saw some of his posts on Instagram, like on some kind of, what is it, roller coaster type thing or whatever, I don't know. I guess that's what they do every day there. Yeah. He's just been sending me a ton of pictures of like food and all that stuff, all the Mexican food and American barbecue. Right. I'm, not, I'm not even replying to him. He's just sending me all just these pictures. Just ignore them. <laughs> ignore them all. Don't even read them. <laughs> so what have we got today, right. stories-wise? Uh, we've got uh, a few articles for you today. We're going to be talking about the review site, Taberog, who was sued. Mm-hmm because of their change in algorithm causing restaurants to lose money. Okay. We'll also be talking about the man who was arrested over nailing a straw doll of Vladimir Putin to a sacred shrine tree. Okay. I've got some stories about Japan welcoming foreign tourists. Uh, Adventure Land Iojima, uh, a kind of park in Kagoshima that was massively uh, overfunded. Uh, Internet Explorer ending its life in Japan. Uh, 120-member sex party. Uh, that happened in the regions, and also drugs in Japan, finally. Uh, can you do them? Would you want to? What are the results? Who knows? Let's find out later on. Roll that intro. Well, I can't really roll the intro because I'm over here. Because you sat here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be coming on now anyway, though, won't yeah, it? Yeah, you know I'll be mean? playing it now. Yeah. So, what's new with you, Alex? Uh, not a lot, man. I'm quite busy at the moment, just starting some new projects up. So I've been running around a bit. But thankfully, today I had a day off. So I came into town, got some nice coffee, uh, had an open-faced sandwich at home before I came here. Is that just a sandwich without the top? It is a sandwich bread? without the top, but that is European and trendy. Yeah, so. I've never heard of that until I came to Japan. Yeah, I mean... You probably don't have it in Hawaii because everything's got like avocado and fucking I don't know healthy <laughs> stuff in it. I guess, but <laughs> you really think Hawaiians eat healthy food? <laughs> they eat moko, moko moko. Yeah, that. <laughs> I have no idea, man. Yeah, like I, I was actually talking about this with my students this week, my adult uh, students. But I've been really missing Hawaiian food right. recently. Uh, what is Hawaiian food? Just to recap, because I have no idea, man. Well, I know pineapple on a pizza is Hawaiian, apparently. That but... was made in Canada, actually. Right. But uh, we don't want to take the slack for that. <laughs> right, good. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are two types, obviously. There's like the traditional stuff, which is like a lot of fish and pork and okay. vegetables and stuff like that, which it's all right, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best. Uh, but the like more modern day things, it's basically like a giant bento, mm-hmm. but it's always two scoops of rice. And I say scoop because they use ice cream scoopers to Did scoop. They? The, yeah, I'll ah. show you a picture of it afterwards. Right, right. Uh, there's always a scoop of macaroni salad and then like a ton of some kind of meat like chicken katsu or some kind of grilled meat or something okay. like that. So it's like fusion food then. A bit of Japanese, a bit of American, a bit of yeah, local Hawaiian. Yeah, a little bit of everything, I would right. say. Like the flavors are definitely like Asian influence, but not just Japan. Nice. It's really nice though. Very unhealthy. <laughs> well, for me, like being British though, I've never thought to go to Hawaii because like, if you want to go on a beach holiday, you go to France or Spain or whatever. Right. Um, and it's like, it seems like an awfully long way to go. It's like the other side the of the yeah, yeah, yeah. other side of the world, right? You know what I mean? So not many people from the UK, I guess, go to Hawaii, but you know, I suppose it's that, that kind of destination. It, Japanese people love it, right? Yeah. I, I've never really thought about that, but yeah, we don't have 
that many European visitors in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. And it's also America, which is kind of like, you know, it doesn't feel very cultured. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Fired. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at Mitch's uh, Instagram and felt that a little bit. So what can you say, man? Right, let's get on with a, a story talking about culture uh, and visitors as well. So Japan is actually getting ready to welcome foreign tourists back. And in fact, on the 10th of June, um, they opened up their borders a tiny, tiny little bit uh, for tours uh, coming into Japan. Uh, so they allow small groups uh, accompanied by tour guides. Actually, individuals are also okay, but you need to have a, a tour guide with you at all times. Uh, and you also need to have a visa to get into the country, uh, a negative PCR test, and then you need to give your itinerary in advance uh, to the to the government to check where you're going to be staying, where you're going to be going, um, and also you have to have health insurance too as well. So there's a lot of hoops to jump through uh, and a lot of red tape, uh, but 98 countries and regions are allowed to take part in these tours, uh, and people have started to use them in some small numbers. Uh, so I think this month there were 300 people uh, that used them. 300, 300. people is a ridiculously low number. Do you have like any kind of ballpark estimate of how many people were coming to Japan before the pandemic? Um, so before the pandemic, uh, 30 million. 30 million. 2019. Uh, so now we're at 300. And we're at 300 now. So we've got a, a little ways to go to get back to that. Almost there. Almost yeah. there. And then next month, there's 1,000 people apparently. Wow. Hey, that's over three times yeah. as much so- over... So it's like they've gone up. If you just look at the percentage increase, they've done yeah. a really good job. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no no other way they've done a good job. So mainly this is the bigger travel companies, obviously. You know, some foreign travel companies my friends operate and things like that. They've been able to get a uh, license to send people into Japan. And if you're willing to jump through the hoops, I guess you can see Japan without too many tourists, which is probably quite a nice thing to have. But again, you know, you're going to be restricted as to where you can go and what you can do. Uh, which is never really a nice feeling when you're on holiday somewhere. Right. I mean, this isn't one of the articles that I printed, but uh, have you heard that Kyoto announced that they're going bankrupt or something like that? What, yeah, that's been around for a long time, actually. So um, Kyoto actually makes a lot of money out of tourism, but the people who make money generally tend to be the temples and shrines and things like that. Uh, and because they're religious organizations that don't really pay tax, you know, they don't pay back into the, the you know, oh, municipal right. fund. So the city itself has been having financial issues for a number of years now. Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's 100% accurate or not. I've not looked into the details. I know Tokyo Lens, Norm, right. did a video about it. Is Tokyo is Kyoto really going bankrupt? I've not watched it, so I don't know what his findings were. Right. I started watching it uh, actually a few minutes ago. I have enough time to watch the whole thing. So. What was the gist? I, the, I only got to the first few minutes where he was interviewing someone... Uh, in Kyoto, I think in the government, I'm not sure. I had it on the other screen while I was printing things out. Yeah, yeah. But it sounded like that person seemed surprised when Kyoto announced that they were going bankrupt. They were like, huh, what, really? Like, what are you talking about? Right, right. Attitude. So I think it depends on, like like you said, which part of it. The tourism industry is obviously not doing very well right now. I think it's the city, and the city's had this problem pre-pandemic as well. Right. So it's an ongoing issue, as far as I'm aware. I've not looked into it in any deep way at all, so I don't know, but... Um, I can imagine that the municipal budget is actually fairly s- small because most of the tourism infrastructure, you know, people ride on buses and things like that, but it's not a huge revenue generator. Right. So, you know. Yeah, um, now that I think about it, like everything that I've done in Kyoto is basically just 
the shrines and temples and a lot of them are even like free to see oh yeah absolutely so yeah. they're not getting like any money out of yeah. me when i go and visit them. so now there's an accommodation tax when you stay in kyoto you pay a tax uh, to stay in a hotel i think it's a thousand yen or something like that i can't remember um so leveraging tax for people to stay in city areas and things like that's a good thing going forwards and for me i mean my view is a little extreme perhaps but i think they should really uh put an upper limit on the amount of visitors that can enter the city at one time um, well i mean if they're going to start changing the way that they do tourism in japan i think it's a good idea like you've mentioned before like doing more high-end uh more interesting personal tours and things like that versus just like thousands and thousands of people being crammed into uh kiyomizudera yeah yeah i mean i've been to kiyomizudera when it's really busy and yeah. it's horrible i mean it's just like a horrible theme park with you yeah. know people with selfie sticks taking photos and dragging luggage about and things like that right uh, like, and it's certainly not that old Japan that people are looking for. Yeah, I, I've mentioned in another episode, but I've been there during one of their peak seasons. I think it was either cherry blossom season or when they had the, the maple leaves. Yeah, yeah. But there were so many people walking together. That just It was like we we're crammed shoulder to shoulder and yeah. you can't even move. And the stream of people is constantly moving. Like you can't stop to take any pictures or do anything. But interesting, I was there in Golden Week because I actually had to do a demonstration, like martial arts demonstration in, in Kyoto. And I was going down, uh, I was in Gion with the family because my kids had never been to Kyoto. So I took them to Gion and those kind of places to have a look. And it was very, very busy on the main street. But actually, if you go into the back alleys, there's nobody there. You know, people are all interested in the main tourist spot. But if you go into the slightly smaller areas and the galleries that are back there and stuff like that, you can actually find some private space as well, even when it's full. Um, but you've got to just look a little bit harder and go off the tourist track. Um, but yeah, they definitely need to you know, reduce the amount of visitors, increase the spend, but not squeeze out everybody. It's not just for luxury tourists. It's got right. to be for you know, people who are interested, really. You know. Right. So yeah, what have you got? Have you got a story there? Uh, Taberogu. Yeah, let's talk about Taberogu. So... When you go looking for a restaurant, like you're told about a new restaurant or something. Yeah. And you look online. What what website do you use to check the reviews and stuff like that? Uh, I, what I usually do is Google right. Maps. Um, and then I look at their website as well, just okay. to see if they've got a shit website. Or oh, not. so is, is that the deciding factor? Well, sometimes if they've got a shit website, it, it can be a good restaurant as well. Oh, if it's like an like a really old restaurant or something like that. Or if they're so good that they don't need to have a website. Oh, I see. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so those places kind of okay as well. But I do always have a look just in case to see what right. it is. But mainly Google Maps, I think, yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, in Japan, Taberogu, I think, is the most popular one. Yeah, yeah. I think probably Google Maps is getting more popular nowadays. Yeah. But when you are looking at a restaurant for the first time uh, or looking at a list of new restaurants, what is your range of like, okay, I, I'll go to this restaurant. Like, is it from four stars? Is it from three stars? For reviews? Yeah. Um, th this is really culturally um, a, a problem, right? So Japanese review sites have, on average, much lower scores than English language review sites. Right. So most of the, you know, reviews on Tabidogu are, are about 3.5 to 3.7. Right. It's unusual to see four stars. And if you see five stars, something fishy is going on. They have know? one review or something. Right. Yeah, yeah, just one review from the <laughs> it, people from who are the, the restaurant. Right? So um, with Japanese review sites, 3.5 is you know certainly good enough. Um, with foreign review sites, if it's got four, that piques my interest usually. Um, but I mean, like when I'm in Tokyo and stuff like that, I'm actually fairly good at just walking down an alleyway 
or a street and finding a place and knowing from the kind of atmosphere whether it's good or not. I've done this so many times on my own, like on business trips. Okay, I'll ask you about how you kind of gauge what's a good restaurant or not afterward. Yeah, yeah. But getting into the article, uh, operator of major restaurant review site, Taberogu, ordered to pay damages. So a Japanese court on Thursday has ordered the operator of Taberogu uh, to pay about 38.4 million yen in damages. How much is that in? 38 million, that's Sanze Hapyakuma. So, so probably uh, like 300 something thousand dollars i have no idea i think it's about three hundred thousand dollars <laughs> probably more than that maybe well, anyway with you, the, you with read the end, it with the end so weaker enough. anyways uh they were ordered to pay 38.4 million yen in damages to a korean barbecue chain judging that its rating algorithm is unfairly designed for chain outlets so in the lawsuit uh Handu muda claimed that the scores of about 20 outlets of its korean barbecue chain fell by an average of 0.2 uh, points with a rating scale of 1 to 5. So uh, I guess the biggest change was one restaurant in particular dropped by 0.45. Okay. So half a point, basically. Um, I actually saw this on the news as well, and they interviewed a bunch of people uh, on the streets and stuff like that. Like, mm -hmm. would you go to a restaurant that was 3.5 stars? Would you mm -hmm. go to a restaurant that's 3 stars? Right. And... Almost everybody said they would go to a 3.5 star restaurant, but the, most people said they wouldn't go to a three star restaurant. Right, right. So they said that uh, this restaurant change lost about 5,000 customers per month after the change. Oh, I see. So there was actually no change in the number of re reviews and the owner had a screenshot of before and after. Mm -hmm. Before it had said like 27 reviews, 3.5 or something. Okay. And then afterward it said 27 reviews and then 3.0. Right, I see. So just the change in algorithm, I don't know how they changed the average. Right, yeah. Without yeah. a change in number of reviews. No, that's strange. I don't know why they would do that. I mean, I, I'm a, no stranger to review sites. Obviously, been in the tourism industry, so TripAdvisor and, you know, whatever, um, Google, Yelp. Yelp. I don't know, there's so many types. Right. Um, and that, it does affect people's opinion. You know, if you see 4.5 stars or 4 point whatever, you, you think, oh, this place is going to be better. Right. Um, so I can see why it would have an impact on the business. And you're right, it's about $300,000 yeah. of damages. So this online service opened in 2005 and they uh, feature more than 820,000 restaurants and bars on their website. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see the need for these kind of sites anymore because Google Maps is really killing it yeah, in that exactly. space. Like TripAdvisor before was quite good for finding restaurants and stuff, but the problem with TripAdvisor is that the the use of it is basically by people on holiday or somewhere from outside the destination. Google Maps is just literally a map application. So right. there's no you know, nuance that you're actually on holiday or anything. So even locals could use that then. Right. You can literally just search through the map and for restaurants and then yeah. look like, okay, this place looks... We, we did that the other day, actually, on our location, film location for people of Kagoshima. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I just found a random restaurant. It's pretty good. Yeah. It, had, it, right. it had decent reviews. Yeah. More than 3.5. Do you look at the photos? I do look at the photos. For me, uh, I always look at the photos, both the website and professionally done photos, but also the uh, the customer's photos. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like the customer photos are a more accurate representation of what you're going to receive. True. I mean, I always try and get a recommendation if I'm going somewhere. Somebody mm -hmm. who lives there and knows the area and knows kind of what I like. 
Um, I, I do ask around for things like that. But I do like to go to very local places that, you know, are just down alleyways. And I like the kind of serendipity of finding somewhere. So I might look on Google Maps and find an area with lots of restaurants, but not specifically look at any of them, just walk around until I see one I like the look of. So if you're in a new area, let's let's uh, imagine our viewers are coming to Japan for the first time, borders opening, all 1,000 people are... All right, everybody. <laughs> all all 1,000 are coming to Kagoshima. Yeah, coming to Kagoshima. Wherever. Yeah. What would you recommend to do and not to do when you are looking for a new restaurant? What are some red flags and... If you're on holiday, it's a bit of a different uh, thing because you've got if you've got a language barrier for example or you know you can't read japanese or whatever um or you're tired because you've been traveling all day you kind of want to get somewhere in advance you don't want to be walking around traipsing around to a restaurant you get in there you think oh god is it okay we can we eat this can we eat that right are there any spaces available you know you can't negotiate so in that regard i would say it's better to find somewhere in advance and go there plan out your evening to go to this place or that place um but like for me on a business trip because i kind of know what the restaurant is from the outside anyway just looking at it you can tell what kind of place it is and i can go in and have a chat with the owner um it's a bit easier to navigate that um so once i was in tokyo there was like this uh place in akasaka up a little street and um there was no sign or anything like that all it had was a, a lantern with a circle and a cross on like the shimazu family crest okay and i was like oh cool what's this place so i knocked on the door and opened it up and they just came up to me and went, oh, no foreign people, no tourists or something like that. And I was like, well, actually, I, I'm from Kagoshima and I work for this company. I gave them my business card. And they were like, oh, please come in. <laughs> so they let me. And actually, afterwards, they were really, really friendly. Um, and I've been going back for years since then. Um, but th their problem was that they're right next to Rapongi, mm -hmm. And they used to get a lot of drunk tourists right, right. coming down. And the locals didn't like people being loud in the restaurant. So they just stopped letting other people in, basically. And when I went in, there was an American lawyer who lives in Tokyo, and he'd been going there for many years as well. So he was like, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a more exclusive type type place or whatever. Um, but randomly finding those kind of things is much easier if you speak Japanese, obviously. Mm, that's true. I have a question about uh, hotel restaurants. You've been to a lot more hotels than I've been to in Japan, I assume. Right. <laughs> uh, do you find that hotel restaurants in Japan are generally good or not? Because the ones that I've been to in Kagoshima, and I haven't been to a ton of hotels, but for the most part, they're not they're not amazing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they're worth it or not worth it? Uh, depends on the hotel and where. So, I mean, I had a very good meal in uh, Tokyo in, in some nice hotels there. Um, it, it totally depends on the hotel, the chain you know, who who the chef is that's running the restaurant, um, the quality level as well. Uh, for regional hotels um, and, you know, ones with lots of different restaurants and things, I don't think the quality is that good usually. You know, it's okay, but it's not not amazing. So, for example, there's a local hotel here and they're kind of couple restaurant or whatever, Chinese restaurant, uh, okay. Mm. Uh, sushi restaurant's kind of okay, but the teppanyaki restaurant's quite good. So... You know, it depends on the, the a little hidden style, mess. right? You know what I mean? I see. But the big chains in Tokyo have got some really nice restaurants. So Palace Hotel's really good. Uh, Aman was very good. Yeah. But expensive, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> get, get someone else to pay is my, my tip. <laughs>
All right, what else you got? Okay, next. Uh, this is a, a, a bit of a tragic story, really, uh, about a place called Adventureland Yojima, which is a, an island, actually, just uh, south of the mainland here in uh, Kagoshima. Have you been there? I've never been there. I've actually never heard about this. What is this? So Yojima is a, a place called Mishimamura. Uh, it's a tiny little island, which is it's one of the closest to the mainland uh, from Kagoshima, but it's actually very difficult to get to. So there's, I think, a ferry once a day. Once a day? Maybe. Can you go there privately? Um, no. So you have to take that one ferry? Yeah. So uh, is it an overnight location then? Uh, it's an overnight location if you would choose to go there. The island's very interesting because it's basically an active volcano and the sea around it is all yellow with oh. like um, sulfur. Okay. It's literally bright yellow. It's really weird. Um, and I believe they have peacocks living on the island wildly. I see. Which have been released from somewhere or other, I uh, imagine. Uh, and I believe the locals also do some, like, jambe, African drumming, for some reason. I don't know what the fuck is going like, on. I feel time. like you're just making stuff I'm up. I'm just making this, this up. No, it's all true. <laughs> it's all true. Um, so basically, the local government created a place called Adventureland Iojima um, on the foot of Mount Iyo. Uh, and the idea was to get school kids from Kagoshima to go and visit, therefore increasing the number of people who use the ferry service to get there. Uh, which would then hopefully increase the amount of ferries needed to travel people across there and boost local tourism and the local economy. Okay. So this was built in 2004 uh, at the expense of about 520 million yen, which is uh, quite a substantial amount of money. Well, that's over $5 million. That's correct. And uh, it was an accommodation building, uh, an exchange building, and a cooking building, which can accommodate up to about 150 people. Uh, the project uh, cost is about 11.7 million yen a year. And unfortunately, uh, it's not been used very much. So it was built in 2004 and it saw a bit of use from local schools and things like that. But it's tailored off, you know, gradually over time. Uh, and for the last three years, its total uh, usage income was 2,500, uh, uh, sorry, uh, 25,000 yen, which is... For the past three years Three total. years total which is, is nothing. Is <laughs> that like before they have to pay other stuff or after? Like, that, do, do they have staff working there? Or? They have uh, staff working there, I believe. So that's uh, Uriage, so that doesn't mean their profit. Oh, so it's just complete loss. Of it's probably a complete loss, a complete and utter loss. Um, and I guess they build it for education purposes, so they're not that bothered about turning a profit from it. But, you know, at the current rate, a 500 million yen... Um, you know, loan from the government, essentially, it'd take like 60,000 years to pay it off at that, that rate. So you know, they're, they're getting there. They're getting there. They're getting there, but it's going to take, you know, until the next uh, tragic, you know, what's it called? Asteroid event wipes out life on the earth. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, these kind of things, it's really just badly managed. Uh, it's a bit of a shame, really, because they could have used it for many different things. During COVID, it could have been used for microtourism mm. to send people over there. It could have been used for events. Um, it yeah, it sounds like a pretty cool island. I mean, it's a cool island. The the actual accommodation itself is kind of boring. It looks like a military, you know, uh, camp or like something a like that. Standard government building, kind disaster of relief area or something. Very minimal, built for school kids, you know. Right. Um, but you know, it's not been publicized, and also it's hard to book because you have to book it through the board of education, not through any tourism kind of uh, body or something like that. Mm. So there are actually loads of places like this around Japan. Uh, you know they call it hakozukuri so they build a box basically right. using a load of government funds and then it doesn't get used for anything 
So all you need is creative people to come in and say, maybe we should use it for this, we should use it for that, uh, and try and get some revenue out of it. I mean, you don't have to make a load of money if it's for education, but it's better not to lose all that money right. and take it out of the taxpayer's pocket. So what can you say? Maybe you should take a trip there. I mean, mm, no. Nah. <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. I don't, I'm not bothered about peacocks and African drumming. It's a nice island, though. I, I mean, it could be used in an interesting way, I think, but it needs a bit of thought. So maybe I'll I'll put some effort into that over the next few months. Okay, what have you got next? I've only got one more, so maybe you can do another. All right, cool. So Internet Explorer, uh, do you remember that browser? It's been a while since people used it, I think. Uh, it's going to shut down in Japan uh, and cause headaches for months, apparently. So... Um, Customers uh, using um, Internet Explorer, mainly government agencies, financial institutions, mag manufacturing and logistics companies um, are complaining to Microsoft uh, about the fact that uh, Internet Explorer is going to be uh, put out of action um, on Wednesday after 27 years of service uh, with many users transitioning to Google Chrome or maybe Edge or something like that. Um, and these Japanese companies haven't updated their computer systems so they're still using uh, Internet Explorer from years ago, probably an unupdated, right. insecure version of Internet Explorer. Um, and because uh, you know they've got uh, problems with that, uh, they're going to lose money and an, an amazing amount of time as well. So you have two kids. Uh, yeah. Do they have computer studies at school? They do, but um, it's not really very in-depth. Um, I think maybe they open a spreadsheet or do something like that so what i did was i bought a computer where i gave actually my my son my old computer uh and installed uh creative cloud from adobe on it and you know microsoft office and just let them play on it right so he installed steam immediately and right. downloaded my games catalog <laughs> and just started playing that smart kid so you know i, I said well, you know you've used initiative to do that so yeah. <laughs> go ahead um but you know it, it's important to get kids using these kind of programs and getting used to them um I mean, it may change when they're adults. They may not be using a mouse and a keyboard anymore. I don't know. Right. Um, but that technology has been with us for such a long time. I don't see it disappearing anytime soon. Yeah. At our Eikaiwa, uh, we, I think we teach the kids more computer skills than they learn in school. Like we teach them how to do learn touch typing and then how to use Word, uh, how to do paint, PowerPoint. Right. <clears throat> like we teach the kids all these things in elementary school. Right. And for the most part, they're all very quick to learn it and stuff like that. But when I ask all the kids, like, oh, do you have computers at home? Like, I don't think a single student oh, has God, a computer no. at home. Yeah, a lot of people don't have them. Um, I mean, I've always been like a computer nerd, so I've built my own computers since right. I was a kid. And um, yeah, I do like doing that. And it's, it's hard to get the parts in Japan. They're so yeah. expensive. It's just mad. Yeah, I was trying to build a computer for, for forever, but I mean... Parts are expensive all around the world right now, but I think especially in Japan, it's just really difficult to yeah. get it. We uh, In America, we have various websites like Newegg, and mm -hmm. it's been years since I built a computer in America, but there we have options there. Yeah. In Japan, it's like you have to go to like an electric shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, maybe or just you Amazon. Yeah, you know, or Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. I mean, I did uh, put a budget together on, I think it was Newegg or something like that, just to see how much my PC had cost. And I think it was a third more than I budgeted for. 
Really? Just because of the prices in Japan. Yeah. And also the graphics card went through the roof because of the chip issue. Right, right. Yeah. So what browser do you use on your computer? Uh, I almost always use Chrome. Yeah. Like, I have a Mac and a PC and my phone. Everything I use is Chrome. I use uh, Firefox for some things on my work computer. But Porn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what I use my work computer for. <laughs> yeah. For just different browsers. Separate them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I use Chrome on most things. So I'm logged in, you know, everywhere. So everything's across. Yeah, exactly. Very convenient. Yeah. I, I mean, last time I actually use Internet Explorer other than to download Chrome, I think I must have been in like elementary school or junior high school on my, my mom's computer. Right. Do you remember the old browser? You probably don't remember them. The first one I ever used was Spry Mosaic. I think that's before my time. So I used Mosaic and then Netscape Navigator. Um, and then what else? Oh my God. It's been so many over the years. Um, went to Mozilla for a bit and then, you know, back to Explorer did use for a little bit and then onto probably Chrome. Safari, Firefox, you know, I've used most of them, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't see why Japanese companies don't update. I mean, Chrome, like, ba basically there's this thing a couple of years ago, somebody did like um, a piece of research in the US, I think it was, and they said if you use the default browser on your computer and don't change it, you are a less creative person than somebody who will mess around with it and found a different browser. So this is over, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who did this research. Right. Um, and it shows that people are more flexible and more adaptable for changing their browser away from the default. So if the default becomes Google Chrome now, what's going to be the second option? Hmm. Do you know what I mean? What's the creative option beyond that? Yeah. I mean, in America, at least, I think Chrome has become the most basic thing. Everybody's using Chrome. Yeah. But it's just so convenient, like you said, uh, like with the password sharing or throughout all your devices and all that. It's just very convenient. But I was surprised by like, uh, there was some statistic in there. I think it said that 50% of people in Japan use Internet Explorer. I think it said somewhere in there. But Yeah, it's, uh, hold on, let's have a look. 49% of respondents saying they use it for work. So I know, I know a lot of people do it because I um, you know, do a little bit of IT stuff for the company I work for. Right. And people do use Internet Explorer a lot. And there's very, very little... Um, knowledge about internet security as well you'd be surprised how weak people's passwords are and people use the same password other employees they all use the same password right so if you wanted to cause some trouble online in japan all i'm saying is it's not very difficult to do so yeah i use uh bitwarden to save all my passwords okay but then all my passwords are like randomly generated like 20 character long random yeah yeah, yeah no i use dashlane for similar Okay. I couldn't live without it now because it's on, you know, everything. It's on face recognition on my phone and right. whatever. Um, so, like, yeah, I've no idea what my passwords are. The problem is, though, if you get locked out of your phone for some reason hmm. or you don't have it with you and you need to log in somewhere, you've got literally no idea what your password is. Yeah, that's true. Like, so it's like, you know, what do I do? So I got I actually kind of took a screenshot myself and inputted a 25 character password with like weird characters just because just that problem happened once. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's kind of boring, worky type stuff. Have you got anything? All right. I've got uh, Japanese men arrested over Vladimir Putin straw doll nailed to shrine tree. Okay. So a 72-year-old man was arrested on Wednesday for allegedly nailing a straw doll bearing the face of Russian President Vladimir Putin to a sacred tree 
in a Shinto shrine near Tokyo, police said. So I'll put a picture of this online on the YouTube podcast. But so these are basically like Japanese voodoo dolls, right? Yeah, yeah. They're what 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 do they represent? Is it like they want the person to die or? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's like uh, basically same as a voodoo doll, right? You stick pins in it and right. cause them pain or death. Something like you can buy them on the internet. If you search for them, I've forgotten what they're called. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen this uh, online too. You can buy this on Amazon. I think yeah, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty weird. But the doll had a picture of Putin's face on it with a note in its breast, wishing uh, death to the Russian leader. Right. And the same or similar doll was found at ten different shrines in the in eastern Japan since May. And you're saying it's probably the same guy. Someone's been very busy then. Yeah, I mean. Wishing death on the Russian leader, sure, whatever, that's fine. But like, why did he have to nail it to the sacred shrine tree thing? Well, I think it's not Shinto actually. This strictly, it's more like um, a kind of folk religion type thing. Okay, um, but I think they obviously think it's got some kind of spiritual power to do like, a the sacred, more sacred the tree, sacred shrine or something like that. But that's damaging, you know, uh, a property. Right, it a says that there property. are two holes in the tree now. Right. He should go and fill them in. <laughs> with with what? I don't know. It's like tree tree stuff. Glue. Glue, okay. Yeah, another doll. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I wonder if it'll work. I mean, a lot of people are annoyed about Putin's actions in the moment, so hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't <laughs> been following the news recently, but have there been any big... I don't know, I've not been looking into uh, Ukraine at the moment, which is, I know, a terrible thing because uh, you do get desensitized to news like that when it comes out all the time. So yeah. it, it's not good to forget about it. But um, yeah, I'm, there's some news about using cluster bombs and things like that. Um, and also, I think uh, Zelensky went to the UK to visit mm. Boris Johnson as well recently. And uh, Boris Johnson offered the um, UK military to, to train Ukrainian soldiers as well. So who knows? what's going to happen but hopefully it'll be over soon yeah hopefully okay so a bit more entertaining news or light-hearted news a uh, man and woman arrested for allegedly hosting allegedly host i like it's allegedly hosting <laughs> 120 member sex party in central japan how can you allegedly host a 120 member sex party surely the 120 naked people would be a sign well i mean they might not have been fucking but what can you say? So where where did they have this party? So this is in uh, Shizuoka. Uh, a man and woman in the 50s were arrested on the 12th of June for allegedly hosting an orgy involving about 120 people at an accommodation facility in central Japan. So the police arrested uh, Teruaki Tabuchi, who's 54 years old, who says, who says self-proclaimed, it says here, self-defense forces official from Narashino in Chiba Prefecture, and Saiko Kato, 51, who claims to be a nurse. I like, I like I say claims yeah, to be a nurse as well. Uh, from the city of Funabashi, also in Chiba, uh, on suspicion of assisting public indecency. Uh, both said they've admitted to the allegations against them. So apparently they hosted a, a sex party involving some 120 people at a rent rental vacation home in Shizuoka Prefecture facing a lake. 
Yes. I feel so, bad for the people who own that, <laughs> that I know, yeah, home. there's a lot of cleaning. You want to take in a black light there. Yeah, they and, probably went home and they're like, why is the floor sticky? Yeah, burn those covers. Oh um, 120 so, people, though, that seems like a little excessive. Yeah, so, I mean, what do you do? I mean, that that's too many people, isn't it, really? Is it even exciting at that point? I don't know, I suppose climbing over people <laughs> and just like, you know. Did you ever watch uh, Game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. The, you know that scene, uh, the Battle of the Bastards, and they're fighting, yes. there's that giant pile of all the people, and they're yeah, all yeah, dying. Yeah. That's just what I thought of. You're just climbing well, the, over people. Yeah, it's the naked version of that. <laughs> um, and people actually paid 10,000 yen to join, which is $74. It's quite cheap, actually. I mean, I, I was going to say that sounds expensive to me. Like, no, I think that's not, that's not a lot of money for 100 people. Well, 120 <laughs> so people... Ichima yen, 10,000 yen a piece. That's, uh, that's decent money. You made 120 man out of it. That yeah. pays for the rental, rental vacation home. Maybe not cleaning, though. Wow. So there's some participants who've come forward as well. Uh, two people got arrested separately while hugging each other completely naked around the orgy venue at 3.40 a.m. <laughs> on June 12th. Uh, one was a 52-year-old man who was a company manager, and the other was a 34-year-old woman who claimed to be a vocational school student. At the age of 34, come on. Um, and they were participants, apparently. So, well, you know, check out Pornhub in a couple of months. I'm sure there'll be a video of it. They'll make a bit more money out of it. <laughs> yes. Okay, from sex on to drugs now. Uh, this is about cannabis in Japan uh, and the use of CBD, uh, despite huge taboos against drug culture uh, in the country. So with its zero-tolerance cannabis laws, deep social stigma against the drug, and moves to tighten the rules on consumption, uh, Japan is no stoner's paradise. So yeah, Japan's very, very strict on drugs. Uh, absolutely no um, tolerance whatsoever. Basically 100% conviction rate. Uh, possession alone will get you in prison. Uh, if you're foreign, you'll be deported. So highly recommended not to do illegal drugs in Japan. Is So what is... Is there anything that's legal in Japan? Um, I don't know. I mean, looking into the... A couple of years ago, the legal highs and stuff like that, you know, were a big problem in Japan. So what the government did was they changed uh, the law. because Outlawing them would be very difficult right from the beginning because they would have to get lots of chemicals tested and go through a long procedure to do so. So what they did was said that anybody in possession of legal highs will immediately be arrested and held for six months. And in that time the chemicals that they're in possession of will be tested in a lab to see if they're illegal or not. For six months? Yeah. So they're basically arrested for six months. Yeah, so basically they went and rounded up everybody selling these things and just slashed the problem and got rid of it completely. I see. So Japan can be very good for things like that because obviously legal highs are really horrible things and shouldn't be you know, consumed by anybody. Um, but... Uh, yeah, as far as marijuana is concerned, yeah, it's it's very, very much frowned upon. Although, interestingly, uh, there's a police station near to where I live in the countryside and the copper had like a ganja leaf air freshener in his car, in a police car. Really? Yeah, just hanging. I don't think they know what it is. It looks like... Uh, well, they might think it's a Japanese maple leaf. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. But it is <laughs> definitely a cannabis leaf and it has in like kind of reggae colors as well or whatever. <laughs> So I was like, you know, uh, I almost took a photo of it. I should have done it, actually, come to think of it. Um, but basically, cannabis oil, CBD, is uh, starting to be uh, adopted in Japan. Um, some people smoke it, apparently. 
So it's not illegal marijuana, but people roll joints containing uh, CBD, uh, which is a non-intoxidating uh, part of cannabis that's become trendy worldwide and fast catching on in Japan. Uh, if it's the non-intoxicating part, I don't know why you'd want to smoke it. Yeah. What's the point? Are there any benefits from smoking it? I or? guess relaxation. But, I mean, it's being sold in vapes, drinks, and sweets in cafes, health stores, and in a shop in Tokyo's main airport as well. Didn't know that. Oh. Interesting. So, I mean, if you've got depression or mental health issues or something like that, CBD can help with it, I guess. But, you know, I don't know. I, I can't really comment. I've never tried it, so I don't know. I can't go into any details like that on here. So. Yeah. Well, I there's something I wanted to ask about. I heard that it's not just illegal to do drugs in Japan, but it's also illegal to have done drugs at some point in your life. No, I don't think that's true. Is that not true? Okay, no. maybe if someone was just pulling my leg then. Because but, how would you prove it? Like, I heard that when you go to the airport, mm. when you go through customs, they ask you, like, have you ever done marijuana who the fuck at the airport goes have you ever done drugs yes i have uh, nobody says that it's like when you come into the country and they go do you have any swords guns paraphernalia with you, no, you nobody's gonna say yes are they? <laughs> my stepdad accidentally hit yes on the machine did he yeah we were uh it was in oregon it was like our flight was at four in the morning so right. we got up at like two in the morning drove to the airport we get to the machine it's all like on uh, automatic machines and mm. it said like first question it said do you have explosives or firearms and he was like yes yes i do <laughs> and then the machine just shut down and like security came no way and they're like do you have explosives and they're like no we pushed the wrong button they're like okay but did like, he have some no uh, yeah he did we, oh he did yeah, right no. <laughs> okay yeah i mean airports are weird man like I was in Germany recently flying back to the UK and I went up to the customs area or whatever to go through. It's transferring flights, so it doesn't take that long. Right. And uh, the guy opens up my passport and he looks at it and he goes, uh, oh, this is fake, isn't it? And I went, yeah, I made it myself. And he went, yeah, good job. Go on through. <laughs> and it's like, that's a joke to German people. I don't know why it's funny. But, um, you know, I just took it in the vein that he was talking to me in. um but like my other friend who's japanese went through frankfurt and had basically the same interaction yeah and because he's japanese and he took it as literal you know facts what the guy was saying he started panicking and he got really upset <laughs> like he's going oh my god it's not fake no i didn't it's not fake it's a real passport from the japanese government <laughs> what are you saying but you know you shouldn't people at the airport shouldn't fuck around with you it's not funny yeah have you ever had any kind of problems at the airport not really. I've always been pretty smooth to go through. You know, never really. I don't look suspicious. I don't think. Yeah. So, you know, always pretty good. How about you? My only problem is every time I go through to America, uh, I don't know if they do this with other countries, but when they check your bag, they put like this paper in right. it and it says like, your bag has been checked. I think last time I went back to America, it got checked three times on the way back so like when i opened up my suitcase there were three separate papers all right every single time i i go to america i get that paper i don't know why they're so checking. they always check your bag they are always checking my bag that's weird my bags never get open for some reason really i don't know why 
Maybe there's yeah. something wrong with my suitcase. You didn't get something. a full cavity search as well, did you, or something like uh, that? Just for fun. They do yeah. that every single time <laughs> you go into the yeah, country. Every time. Every time. It's the same guy, too. I same guy. <laughs> That's so bad. I noticed one thing while we were talking earlier on. You were kind of just doing this with your hand. Is that a wedding oh, ring? Oh, yeah. Can I, uh, I got married last Sunday. Congratulations. How Thank was it? You. Yeah, it was, I mean, so in Japan, when you get married at City Hall on... Uh, Sunday, which is their day off, you have to go to like a little, a little room in the back, basically. All right. Like they just have a little room just for marriages and people who are going for my number card. Wait, are there 120 people waiting there for you? <laughs> or, no. Yeah, just behind us. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but so we went there, and it's just like this little room with a wall where this guy is like sitting behind it and like he, you hand him the paper and then he's like, okay, do you want a picture taken? And then we're like, okay, yeah, sure. Wait, I see if you wanted a picture taken. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have that service. So oh, what's this? The, the guy was actually really nice. Like he was he like, he was smiling a lot and he was really old and like we gave him my phone and like he was like fiddling with it for a while and he's like, oh, wait. Oh, that's my face. How do I make it face oh, you? And I was like, it's been like a minute and you're like looking at whatever. Was he flicking through the filters or something like that <laughs> trying to find the most romantic one? I don't know. But then he, he, he took our picture and it's not the best spot for pictures. It, it's a normal gray background with trash cans behind us. Right, right. Right. You know, as most wedding photos are. My mum and dad's wedding photos from the 70s, right? They got married. My dad liked some white tuxedo type thing on like John Travolta and everything, you know, all the wedding dress and uh, they got <laughs> got married in a part of Sheffield that was a bit run down, I guess, at the time. And they both stood there, like, looking happy with the family around and stuff like that. And the wall behind them has got a giant cock drawn on it in spray paint. <laughs> and they didn't notice. It's a brilliant, brilliant photo. That's great. Love it. Yeah, when I went to City Hall, I went in and, like, basically, they gave me a, a calendar to collect the rubbish. When, what day should you put the rubbish out? Oh, I and didn't went, get that. Oh, you are married now. So I was like, the fuck is this? No congratulations or anything. Oh. So we went outside and just looked at each other and we're like, what, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. In America, I think it's almost always done same day as the wedding party, right? Yeah, like you, you do sign it in, that's what you do in England. That's what you do at the church. You yeah. sign the register, you're done. You know right. what I mean? That's the same thing. But in Japan, they split it into two. Yeah. And usually the, the wedding party or whatever is six months after. Yeah. I don't know why they do that. And they don't tell people that they're married. Yeah. That's the other weird thing. Don't change the surname women a lot of the time oh well my wife well yeah i gotta get used to saying wife not girlfriend my wife is changing her name to my name thankfully yeah do it quick because if you don't change it quickly i think it's a six months uh gap you've got after that it becomes very very difficult to do Uh, she did it yesterday so oh you're good good. all good good. yeah nice i'll probably put pictures up on patreon if you want to see that beautiful gray wall with the flickering light and the trash cans behind us. Is there us. a huge cock on the wall as well? Uh, no, just I can Photoshop that in afterwards. Yeah. yeah it's important. <laughs> Good to have. Okay, well, I think that's wrapped up everything for today. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. A little bit of a shorter episode than usual, but hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, hopefully, Mitch is having a nice time in Vegas. What's he doing anyway? Has he um, gone back to see his family? Yeah, he went back to see his family and right, party, okay. party it up, you know. Party, yeah. That's why he around. lost weight before he went, so I'm going to see how fat he is when he gets back. That's yeah, my... you got to comment, oh, you gained weight. Yeah, he'll hate that. He hates it, right? That's how he, <laughs> he always greets people. I know, yeah, he's always prodding you in the belly, right? Yeah. Motherfucker. I don't know. <laughs> 
All right. Well, if you enjoyed the show, hit like. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. Let us know what you think. Yeah. And if you really enjoyed the show, please support us on Patreon. Uh, we have monthly either thank you videos or live chats. I think next month we're going to try to find a day where either you or Natsuki or both of you guys and uh, Mitch and I can do a little chat with our patrons and maybe have a few drinks or something too. Yeah, man. Have a nice little hangout. Uh, but yeah, if you enjoyed the show, hit like, subscribe for more. Thank you for watching. All right, take it easy. See you next time. Bye. Bye. A big thank you to our patrons, Jan Myler, Jen, Justin Perkins, and Ellen. Thank you guys so much for your support. Couldn't do it without you.